Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Newcastle advancing. Lockstar! This is Pod on the Tyne. I am Taylor Payne, and we are in the Carabao Cup final. George Calkin, Jacob Whitehead's here as well. Gents, I haven't had much sleep. I'm presuming you haven't either. I am absolutely giddy. George, are you okay? Uh, yes, struggling to come to terms with the reality of our situation. Um, I think there was a moment in the match, wasn't there, when towards the end where we're all just absolutely bricking it. And then you look at the scoreboard, and it's oh no, Newcastle are sort of quite quite comfortable. I think we we could be at Wembley, and then that explode. Ah, oh, yeah, no, look, I'm already wittering. I'm overjoyed, very very emotional, and um, can't believe it. Can't believe it. Off to back off to Wembley. We'd persuade. It's yeah. Incredible. Anyway, yeah. Jacob, how are you? You ready to jump ship from from the blue of Everton, the black and white of Newcastle? Yet have we converted you? I tell you, I. It's tempting, it's tempting. <laughs> if like the current month isn't going to make me do it, I don't quite know what words, but um, still pretty wired from last night. Oh, Might absolutely. be the whole like bag of Haribos I ate during the match, but yeah, I've just sort of been a bit sort of, yeah. I don't drink coffee at since. all, but I feel like this is what it would be like if I had an awful lot of coffee. I just feel that really, really bouncy and sort of jittery. Uh, amazing stuff. Um, as excited about a football game as I think I've been in a long time. I think a mixture of shitting myself and excitement uh, leading up to the game. Uh, but let's just start with a little message from our very own Chris Woff. Hello, it's three minutes to eight 
and I have just heard the roar of St. James's Park, but I am not actually inside St. James's Park. Uh, as George revealed on the podcast last weekend, I became a father earlier this month to a wonderful boy, James, and I am actually stood on the other side of Lisa's Park listening uh, from the RVI. James is, is absolutely wonderful. He's just needed a little bit of a... Uh, treatment to help him along the way and hopefully he's making very good progress and i am spending his first newcastle night home match watching it with him in the rvi so i am very much looking forward to this there is nowhere i would rather be and as, as important as a match this is for newcastle united the most important thing to me right now is to be with james and the fact that i can watch the match with them is an absolute privilege hopefully he continues his 100 percent record so far <laughs> and he manages to get newcastle united through to a league cup final their first final since 1999 their first league cup final since 1976 that would be absolutely wonderful but just heard the raw a unique experience for me i've never been in here when I, the match has been on to be able to hear it and it was as if I was there it was really 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 loud I could hear all the singing beforehand the blading races and uh, hear Jude and all the rest of it but uh, the roar when the teams come out I've just heard that so I'm now going to go back to, to, to watching this match with James so hope Newcastle United deliver the win. Oh, bless him, oh, man, George. Bless him. Off. That has sent me off. I didn't need. I know, same. I didn't need much encouragement, to be honest, but that has actually sent me off. That is absolutely beautiful listening to that from Chris. I mean, we, we wish him all the best, and obviously to, to baby James as well. That is James Woff, future Newcastle United number nine, yeah. uh, and his father, Christopher Waffles, uh, from the RVI. Uh, just amazing. The emotion of last night. George, I mean, let's talk about that. The atmosphere in the stadium beforehand, it was fever pitch, wasn't it? And we went in and there was just something in the air. It felt like a special night. The flags, the scarves, the music, everything. I mean, I was I was almost in tears before the game even started. It just felt that special, didn't it? Totally. And it does recall those moments. I mean, I remember Wembley, I was, you know, I was there in 98 and 99 and, you know, was in tears when the team came out onto the pitch because those moments are very special. They don't happen very often. They certainly haven't happened very often for us in recent years. And I think you do remember in those moments. So that I think, you know, one of the reasons why Chris's little note there is so emotional, not just because we love him and miss him and want everything to be okay and so on and so forth, but because these moments are about family fundamentally. I got a message from a friend, Jacob and I have written a piece about the match and I put it at the end of the piece and the friend said at the end, I sobbed, I sobbed into my dad and you know, yes, it's a chance for Newcastle to win a trophy, but it's something kind of bigger than that as well. It's that it's that memory of why you do what you do and something being handed down to you from from family or friends. And, um, you know, it's not all about winning things, obviously, but it is that sort of emotional connection. And you just feel all that in matches and occasions like this. And it's also the tension of it, Taylor, isn't it? Because... I've said this before on the podcast, there's been a huge difference internally for me in the last few weeks when the semi-final becomes a possibility because post-takeover, life at Newcastle has felt good and it's felt like going to the game is a pleasure again. And when you have that feeling, it sort of doesn't matter whether you win or lose. Obviously it does and you want to win and you you know want Newcastle to, to, to finish as high up the league as possible. But there's just that simple pleasure in being there again. Whereas suddenly in this cup run, there has been proper, genuine tension. It's a good tension and it's a positive tension. But all of that was there before kickoff. In the flags, in the atmosphere, in the noise. It's the tension and the noise of something mattering and it my god that that mattered that mattered so much last night it really did there was a, a feeling like a knot in my stomach from the minute i got on the metro to head into town uh, well pretty much it was building all day to be honest across the afternoon but i was working so i was trying to ignore it and just sort of get on with life you know but by the time i got into town and started walking up to the stadium the feeling was just not not like anything i think i've experienced before as a newcastle fan i don't think i've been in that situation and you know I was too young to go to the finals in the 90s and I, I just don't ever remember feeling like that at a game where the you know the the, the expectation the 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 anticipation of the whole thing was just 
It was just boiling inside of us. It was incredible. And I noticed Newcastle itself, the town was heaving an hour before kickoff in a way like it, it doesn't normally heave for Premier League games. You know, the, the, the atmosphere was incredible. I went and stood at the food bank and talked to a couple of people. I went in the club shop and it was just unreal. Uh, Jacob, it, f- f- from your point of view, uh, obviously you're not a Newcastle fan, but there must have been a part of you last night which was feeling that atmosphere and feeling that tension and understanding what it meant to everyone there. Yeah, I think it's like impossible not to get borne up in that kind of swell of emotion. L- like everyone wears it so close to the skin, it's something quite visceral and evident. It's not something which yeah. is buried deep inside despite no, the fact everyone's it. got these <laughs> churning stomachs. Like you just need to look at someone to see what it's doing. Like, uh, yeah, I was also around town yesterday afternoon and I was around Strawberry Place at about two o'clock and even then just packed, nipped into the strawberry, not a not a spare table. Um, I mean, I also, yeah, pre-match, wanted to talk about that DJ set as well, which was just absolutely pounding. Yes, I enjoyed that as well, um, even though uh, very difficult to hear anything. You're totally right about the atmosphere beforehand, but it was at the end, people didn't want to leave the stadium. And, you know, normally people go, obviously there's the, the Newcastle always do that little kind of lap of appreciation thing after after matches under Eddie Howe now which is which is nice but but fans stayed and fans stayed beyond that too and I've not seen that before for a long time there was just this absolute draw to the stadium both before and afterwards people just didn't want to let go but yeah you just felt that all the way through god that you know at the end the the release of it at the end was extraordinary yeah I have to say thank you as well to Dean who was the the lad who sorted me a ticket out for last night I was I was away in the Lake District when the uh, when the tickets went on sale, the members' sale, and I couldn't get a ticket. And then I had a I had a work meeting in the morning when the the general sale went on. I couldn't get a ticket, and I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to go. And a lad called Dean, who I don't know, I don't, I've never met him before. He's from the Shetland Isles, but he lives in Edinburgh now. He goes to every home game with his mates, um, and he comes down and he meets up with people here. He got me a ticket, and he and he said, "I'll I'll meet you before the game at the Bobby Robson statue." Uh, 10 minutes before the, the, the time we said we were going to meet, he, he still hadn't turned up. I'm starting to ship myself. Has this all been a ruse? <laughs> I didn't know what was going on, but I met him and he was a lovely lad and his mates were great. Um, and we went in the stadium and honestly, it was like we'd been friends for years. We all had a, the, the common thing that we were all pulling towards last night. And when the final whistle went, we embraced and we hugged each other like we'd known each other since we were kids. I'd only just met them two hours before that but we all felt it and it was brilliant. That's how it was, wasn't it? It was just that incredible sort of outburst of emotion at the end. And it, it feels like sort of years lifting off you, years lifting off the club and, you know, going back to that sense of, you know, Newcastle trying, Newcastle competing and we're all in it together. That's the, that sort of feeling. Um, very special, very special. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Jacob Newcastle were out of the traps like greyhounds, weren't they? The first 20 minutes was so intense. They pressed them so hard. The the chances were coming left, right and centre and two goals early on. And I mean, by that point, you think the tie's over and done with, don't you? It it was an incredible start by Newcastle. I think there's two things which are really impressive about it. We've seen under Howe quite how intense and aggressive this team can be early in matches. But the two things were... One, kind of the pure quality of attacking football being played. I mean, for both goals, there are these kind of flowing moves, which, you know, Magnus Carlsen couldn't have mapped out on a chessboard, kind of. I think there's Bruno's turn in the midfield for the, for the first goal, Almiron crossing it back across goal for the second. And then the second point is just finishing, kind of wrote after the Crystal Palace game. I think we chatted on the last pod about kind of all these chances which are being missed. Well, Sean Longstaff was culpable for a lot of them before and now it's not the case. And yeah, those two points of difference just early on in the game. And you could tell the crowd really just fed off that. It was just this kind of constant heave once more to the breach. 
It was brilliant. And Sean Longstaff popping up with the goals, George. He's had a little chat with Alan from work, hasn't he, recently? And he's kept a couple down and he's put them in the net. What a moment for the lad. I was absolutely buzzing for him. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, Jacob and I have, have stayed up stayed up late to try and kind of write a piece that sort of sums up summed up the moment. We've we've tried our best in Newcastle in our Newcastle's Cup Odyssey uh, series. Never thought we'd end up uh, writing about Wembley for number eight, by the way. But um, but yeah, that you know that moment and it, it sort of just did feel like it's like Sean, you've missed you've missed some chances. Please just 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 put this away. It's all forget you know. It's all forgotten. It's. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I mean, it was a brilliant move. Started off by Bruno in the middle doing something that I still don't quite understand how how he how he got the ball into space like he did, and then it's Longstaff. And the you know the br- the brilliant thing about Sean, whatever you say about his finishing or anything else, is that he runs all day. He keeps running. He keeps putting himself in the position. He is absolutely the the heartbeat of the team in that respect. I put a daft line into that piece saying that you know Sean said afterwards. That when he celebrated, do, doing a kind of brief Shearer arm aloft celebration, all the energy left his body. And I said that well, that was a lie because he just kept running, and he probably yeah, exactly. And, and I said he probably sleeps on a treadmill. He runs so much. <laughs> but yes, he'd he'd called Alan in the week to talk about finishing, and Alan's advice was. It was you're thinking too much. You're thinking too much about it. You're trying to place the ball. You're trying to you're trying to put it in the right position, and you've just got to hit it. And as as you know, my feelings about centre forwards just smacking the ball as hard as possible, whether it's penalties or otherwise. And I think that's just good advice. You know, um, he got himself into the, into the right positions a couple of times, and just great great finishing. So delighted for him. He has had a bit of stick, but you know, immediately that happens. The Gallagates singing um you know one Sean Longstaff and one of our own and all that kind of stuff and that's you know that is great I mean for him and for him and Dan Byrne in particular you know people who know the club who've supported the club and um you know know what this means it's just yeah great great moment you could see how much it meant to Dan Byrne and to, to Sean Longstaff Jay, Sean Longstaff nearly had a hat-trick in that first half and what a turn of a hat-trick would have been I also think it's nice because for so long he's seemed People have slightly kind of debated his role in this team. He probably wasn't in Howe's first choice team to start the season. And he's kind of been treated a little bit as if he could be the expendable man. Kind of they bring someone into midfield, he could be the person to drop out. And for, I mean, whatever happens next season, whoever they sign, for him to have had this moment of sending his hometown club to a final where he is one of the best players on the pitch. Man of the match as well, wasn't he? And Howe actually spoke in the presser about the importance of having Geordies in the team, sort of saying, you know, Obviously, we can't carry anyone. We're at elite level, but that's the fabric of the club we need, and it's so important. You know, if you can have bringing all kind of the uh, Brazilian magicians you want, but still having you know kind of a, a lad from North Shields kind of popping up twice in the semi final. Absolutely, and they tried to get him to do the dance, didn't they? They tried so hard in the, in the, in the changing room afterwards. Eddie Howe was trying to get him up to do the dance, but he wasn't having it. I think that's fair enough. I think that's a good decision on his behalf. Dan Byrne can keep that one for himself. I think the rules are that you can only have one <laughs> player from each club in Strictly Come Dancing. Um, I think that is the rule. And Dan, Dan's got that sewn up now. So, yeah. Sean, I'll have to wait for a year. Speaking of Dan Burney, he had this to say as well. Yeah, amazing. Hasn't really sunk it in yet. Um, definitely the best atmosphere I think I've ever played in. Even in the warm-up and that, I could feel myself getting emotional. I was like, trying to like, control myself because <laughs> the place was bouncing. Um but yeah, uh, especially first 20, 20 minutes, I thought were amazing. Scored two great goals. I don't think they probably would have enjoyed coming here tonight with that atmosphere. But just um, yeah, two really good goals. Disappointed with the goal. Obviously, I think they've scored out of nothing. But as I say, I thought we were pretty dominant. Second half was probably always going to go like that. We knew that they had to come out and have a go, and we we had a lead to sort of protect. Um, just sort of glad we could see it. What does it mean? I mean, can you put it into context? Uh, it's hard to put it into words, but I just think just the, the generations that have supported with sort of through thick and thin with without a lot of cheer about a lot of the time. The change in in since the, the new ownership came in is just massive. We never thought that we'd probably be in this position as, as quickly as we as we have been. Um, but I think we thoroughly deserve to be here. Um, hopefully we can we can win it there. Were there any moments in the second half there that there's a bit of old Newcastle in there, talking about the stadium, even a bit on the pitch? Uh, I think yeah, you could tell that the, the fans were nervous. I think bound to be from the, the years that we've had. I think it's sort of ingrained in that we should be like that. Um, but no, I, I felt comfortable. Even when Bruno went off, I, I thought we were solid. Uh, just when 
Prowse was standing over the free kick, you're always thinking, oh, no, please don't bend this. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I thought we were, we were pretty solid. I think it's like we have been a lot of the season, we've been sort of hard to beat. Um, and and, and we've, we've seen games out and, and done the ugly ugly things when we've needed. Can you believe it? Not really. <laughs> like, as I said, I don't think it'll sink in until probably weeks in advance or until we're about to walk out um, at Wembley. But so we've got some important sort of Premier League games now um, that we've got to switch we we'll focus to before that. Did you see the video of Sean Longstaff getting interviewed by the club and Dan Byrne comes over and takes the mic off him and shouts, I'm off to get me suit measured, come on! A <laughs> la Gaza in the in the nineties. I wonder how much he planned that before. Like, was that something he sort of sneakily thought of five days ago? I'm going to do like, this. I really yeah. hope we win so we can pull that off. Or, or was it truly spontaneous? Because I reckon surely you sort of you got that in the back of your mind quietly. You don't admit it, but you know you want to do that. I don't care. I don't care either way. It was brilliant, <laughs> superb stuff. Dan Byrne talked about the the nerves setting in in the second half as well, and after that, Shea Adams goal, George. Newcastle seemed to visibly take 10, 15 yards a step back and relinquish possession far too easily. And the nerves of the crowd started to roll over onto the pitch, didn't they? Totally. And I think that, I mean, the, the, the fascinating thing about that was that we all felt it and, you know, we felt that heaviness and you feel that weight. And, um, you know, this that all sounds kind of very emotive and it's, you know, it's not sort of real, but that is the time that you feel the kind of ghosts in the stadium and you feel the history. And of course, that's just all from within ourselves. And if you're not, if you're too young to remember those times, it's being told about it by your dad or your mates or your mum or whatever. And actually, then you look at the score and the score says that Newcastle are still two goals up. And it's like, well, that's you know that's that's actually a really comfortable position to be in, and you know Burn Burn talked about that afterwards. He sort of says, yeah, we you know you felt the nervousness from the crowd. That sort of stuff is ingrained. It's ingrained in the fabric of the club that somehow it'll be fucked up because that's what Newcastle do. And so you have this dual thing as the match goes on. The tension is there and the ten- it's weighing on our shoulders, but actually the. The team are doing okay, and you know we'll talk about their sending off and all all the rest of it. But um, that was that that was old Newcastle versus new Newcastle, sort of wrestling on the. I mean, not quite wrestling on the pitch, but on the pitch and off the pitch, and very unusual to see Newcastle score a goal. Uh, sorry, concede a goal at the moment. But really, the tension was our tension. It wasn't the team's tension, and they did what they do, and they closed it out. And you know, Burn said. We were. I felt quite comfortable. You know, I felt quite comfortable. But that's not how I <laughs> felt. He did because I didn't. No, no. I was absolutely shitting myself absolutely. in that second half. Absolutely, and that's. It was horrific. Yeah, absolutely. Same here, and um, yeah, I'd sort of started writing. I sort of started writing after the second Sean goal because I just felt like I had to get my emotion out, and I felt all of it. And it's you know Jacob's nudging me, and, and it's like, oh, have I gone too early? Have I gone too early here? And it was just <laughs> incredibly tense. But that's of course is what makes is what makes the end so so special because it's that just massive, massive exhalation of breath and and relief. Yeah, exhausting. I think also just to pick up on that, what George said about not conceding, if you, if you aren't going to away games, that's the first time Newcastle conceded at St. James's Park since... Was it October or something? A month or two before the yeah. World Cup. Like, that's a new thing. And obviously it wasn't a defensive error. Sometimes there's just nothing you can do about someone whacking it really hard into the bottom corner. But it's still, you know, going to be a little bit discomforting because you just have that kind of what if. And I think Howe also kind of, he made his usual subs, but made them 10 minutes earlier than usual. Yeah. And that did feel like it upset the rhythm quite a lot. Kind of really missed a bit of the slickness. I did actually think they missed Willock in, in midfield, just kind of yeah. taking things over. I felt like that when Willock went off, when Army Run went off and, and, and Callum Wilson, I know we've spoke about him having a hard time recently and he, and he again, he didn't look like a goal threat but he was doing a job which was to take away the focus of those uh, centre-halves and he was being a, a physical presence uh, that we kind of lacked after he went off. Uh, he was holding the ball up, he was you know, he was bringing other players into play and, and I think we lacked that when he went off. There wasn't really a focal point up the pitch anymore. It was really uncharacteristic in that second half. We start giving the ball away. Um, the frustration starts to build and it culminates, George, in Bruno getting the telling off a couple of times 
uh, prior to that for a few naughty tackles, and then he he gets himself sent off. A lot of complaints from the players, none of which are valid when you look at the replay. It's it's clearly a red, isn't it? Yes, it is to me. I mean, I've not sort of studied it again this morning, but so so my my responses were all from kind of watching it on a tiny screen last night in the in the in the press box, but saw it a few times, and yeah, I don't think I you know certainly after. The check on VAR. I don't think. I don't think there are any complaints there. You know, one of the 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 great things about Bruno is not just you know the fact he has the talent to do what he did in the build up to to Sean's goal. You know, he is Newcastle's most influential player in those terms. But he plays on the edge. You know, and that is something that um, I really like about him. Um, you know, he has that feistiness. But you know, the 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 risk with that, the jeopardy with that, is that. Um, it can go. It can go overboard sometimes. I don't think he has any complaints about that. We'll come on to talk about what that means for the club and what they've done over January. But um, no, and so they had to see it out, and they did. Thankfully, I'm pretty sure it's the first red card of his senior career. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised at that as well surpri- because yeah. he can be a bit of a nasty bastard, can't he, when he wants to be? But I was surprised it was his first red card. The second time in consecutive home matches that he's left the pitch in in tears as well, and um, you know he's an emotional player, but that also sort of sums up what he's like and and how important he is to the team and how important the team is to him. It's uh, you know the good news is that um, he'll serve his ban, he'll be back, he'll be back for Wembley, and you know that's a good thing. But no, I don't think don't think he can really complain too much about that. I can imagine you being a bit like that, George, if you played for Newcastle. Every time you play at St James's Park, you just leave the pitch in tears, regardless I mean, of what happens in the that match. T- like, you must feel quite a lot of kind of empathy with him. No, totally. I mean, you're taking the piss out of me, but absolutely fairly. Um, <laughs> yes, I'd be I'd be sort of in tears in the tunnel. I'd be in tears sort of doing the line-up. Tears. <laughs> and then I would do a Gaza FA Cup final tackle on the first person I came anywhere near to after about 20 seconds and then I'll get sent off and never never play again. You're always keeping those emotions just bubbling under the surface, aren't you, George? Uh. Uh, and with that in mind, <laughs> we are safely through to a final of a cup competition. I never thought I'd say that no. in this podcast, no. but there we are. Uh, and we are all off to Wembley. At least I think that's how it's pronounced, George. Oh, no. I think we've given up on this, haven't we? Given up on the idea of Newcastle going to finals, challenging to win something, being at Wembley, dreaming even. Personally, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, both as a journalist and as a fan, I told myself that those days were over. And honestly, it made life better. It made life less painful. Um, and they're back again. It's very difficult to take in at the moment. Very nervous, tense last few minutes. Newcastle go into a 2-0 lead, concede one, then Bruno gets sent off, Isaac goes injured, and you wonder if it's the old Newcastle rearing its head again. But they're there, they're there. And we're going to Wembley. And if you've never seen a city on the move, you will do at the end of this month. Unbelievable. Absolutely brilliant, George. We're off to Wembley, are we? Aussie, Georgie's going to Wembley. His knees have gone all trembly. Um, yeah, I don't know. Where, I don't know what that oh, was. Oh, fantastic! Just, that's just involuntary wrong noises coming out of my body. Um, there was a lot of that. Um, oh, there's going to be a lot more. Of that, isn't there? Let's be honest. <laughs> Honestly, it was such an amazing atmosphere. I mean, if you've listened to this podcast over the last two or three years, firstly, thank you. Um, but it does sort of take me back. It does take me back to the start and how bleak things felt and you know without getting sort of too uh too over the top about it those moments at St James's last night you know that's how we think of Newcastle that's how we think Newcastle should be and always is and it hasn't been you know it really hasn't been but um and yeah um whatever else you you th- you think about the club right now this is a moment for for supporters to save uh, for families and you know let's let's take it one step at a time the important thing is that there's now going to be this huge huge conflagration in london and it's going to be a chance for people to take a step back from the club to remind themselves why they do it in the first place get together and just have a massive, massive party and celebrate. And that is a beautiful thing. We all know what we would like to happen at the end of it, but let's do it one step at a time. The first thing is this this is going to be a weekend for the ages. Absolutely. Amen to that. Uh, and we give Chris Woff the first word on this episode, so let's give him the last one on this as well. 
So what a night for Newcastle United. Quite the atmosphere, quite the occasion to listen to from across the other side of Leeser's Park. I'm sure it wasn't quite as spectacular as it was within St. James's, but there's no, as I said before, there's nowhere I would have rather been. James has maintained his 100% winning record watching Newcastle, which he was the most serene person, really. He, even when Southampton scored, he was quite calm, quite happy. You know, he just expects teams to win. His first two matches are semi-finals, and his sixth match is going to be a final. Quite staggering for any Newcastle United related person to be in that sort of situation where they were talking about semi-finals and finals as being the norm in the modern era. But that's all he knows right now. But uh, congratulations to everyone associated with the club, particularly Eddie Howe and all of the players. Absolutely phenomenal. So I can't say how delighted I am for all of them. And yeah, roll on to Wembley. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. On to transfers now, but you can read all about the Newcastle United Cup Odyssey if you pick up a subscription to The Athletic and you can pay £1.99 a month for your first year at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Right then, on to transfer business, George. Uh, Newcastle, we made some moves in the transfer window. A couple of players came in. Anthony Gordon and Harrison Ashby were out on the pitch before the semi-final to a great reception from the home crowd. Newcastle probably would have wanted more from this transfer window, though, wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, so that was a great moment. I think I'm, you know, very pleased they they did that before before the match. There were a couple of nice moments in those sorts of terms about with players getting getting great reception. You could see Gordon coming off and saying to Harrison Ashby, "Wow, you know, amazing." And after the stick that there's been between between Newcastle and Anthony Gordon in the past, <laughs> yeah. I think that was kind of probably quite an important, quite an important moment. He saw a different side of the of the stadium. You know, the match will have cemented all that. And you know, I think as you said, Taylor, we've had that relationship with players in the past. He might be a dick, but he's our dick, or you know, whatever. When we're talking about Craig Craig Bellamy, and um, he will feel the love. He will feel the love. So I thought that was a that was a great moment overall. You know, I, I suppose we should we should discuss that now. Maybe I think you know their priority before the window was a defensive midfielder, and they haven't got a defensive midfielder, and that is thrown into sharper focus, of course, with what happens with um, with Bruno in the match, who will now be missing for three games. What we have to remember, and and certainly what the club will say privately, is is that they're trying to build something. They're trying to build something long term here. It's not about. I mean, yes, of course, they want to get in the Champions League. And if they can get in the Champions League this season, nobody is going to turn that down. But they have a long-term plan. And the idea is not to get in the Champions League once. The idea is to get in the Champions League full stop. I mean, that's easier said than done when you look at the you know the teams in the top six, of course. And the dilemma that I think they felt in terms of that, that position was there weren't great candidates available. There wasn't a lot of a deep talent pool, certainly not for decent money. Gordon was the was was someone that they were chasing last summer and they would have chased again this summer and they've done it now to make sure it's happened. Do they overreach themselves? Do they spend 50 million quid when they've got they do have FFP concerns, maybe we should talk about that too on a player that not everybody buys into and then 
run the risk of having a, a member of the squad that they're not committed to? Or do they stick to their guns and look to build long-term? Now, that's what they've done. They're not Chelsea. You know, Chelsea have thrown everything against the wall and hope that something sticks. That's not the, what Newcastle are doing. They're doing it brick by brick, if you like. You know, the idea is to build the club, not just the first team, but everything all around it at the same time, from the training ground to the, you know, the youth side of it. And they haven't been de- deviated from that. Now, when the Bruno thing happens, I mean, I'm, you know, maybe we'll all have an opinion on that. Does that mean that's a mistake? I don't know. It's tricky. You know, it is tricky. Um, they do have they do have options. Obviously, um, they can bring Jolinton back into midfield. They can put some Maximat into the team. Isak, depending on how he is fitness wise, you know. The, 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 but they don't have a lot of options. I think it's a fascinating conversation. I think everything that's happened at the club since the takeover has been has been spot on, more or less, you know, more or less. So it's very difficult to criticise, and I'm certainly willing to, um, uh, to, to to kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. But I think it's a fa- that conversation of, is there a moment that had to be seized right now because of this opportunity they've got, because those other teams like Chelsea and Liverpool have been struggling, or do they stick to the plan? And what they've done is, is stuck to the plan. So we'll have to see how all that works out. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what Jacob feels or you feel, Taylor. But, um, yeah, it's fascinating. Jacob, what's your thoughts? With Bruno being out for next three games, they can just about muddle through. It's just then the danger if one other thing happens. Because I think if... If an injury's picked up or something... Yeah, I mean, I think most likely his long staff will drop back into number six. Jelinton will drop back into the left side of number eight and he'll bring in one of Sam Maximan, Gordon or even possibly Isaac on the left. The thing is then is, well, if Sean, something happens to Sean Longstaff, I don't know what on earth you'd do. Maybe Fabian Scherer to push, but I think it'd most likely force a system change. It well, means yeah, you can't really say, rotate anyone in midfield. It could make a change of shape, couldn't it? Yeah, but even then, I mean, you'd have to play... Probably Longstaff and Jellington in a double pivot, which isn't entirely ideal. I think to an extent, kind of Shelby, he's still, Shelby kind of still out a while. Not replacing him isn't a total panic. I just feel like their window's been disrupted by kind of Wood and Shelby so heavily. In that Wood's departure meant their focus, which wasn't a number six, went to a forward and Gordon came in. And then obviously Shelby's has accelerated it or at least thrown it into thrown it into sharper focus. And maybe they weren't quite reactive enough to that. But as Hal said, you don't want to block a move for Shelby. Kind of Shelby's given this club a lot. He's in his own kind of quite insecure spot with his contract being out at the end of the season. And so I'm quite glad that Newcastle did right by him in a way. And just sometimes you do get left in this sort of spot. There is also Elliot Anderson, and I think that's something important to, to to kind of point out as well. I think they're putting their faith in him to a certain extent now moving forward in the sense that, you know, he will now get a chance, you know, he will get more of a chance and, you know, we'll get to see whether he is the he is the player that um, that we hope he can be. So there's, there's, there's him too. But no, Jacob's spot on. I mean, I think if you'd asked Eddie Howe in December... About the chances of losing, you know, losing Wood and Wood and Shelby in this window, and he'd, he'd have looked at you, you know, as if you're an idiot. But stuff happens, you know. Stuff happens in the window. One of, you know, you can have your own plan, and that's great. But you also have to be reactive, and you have to, um, you know, respond to stuff. Um, both of those players, I think, you know, we saw the saw the um, reception that Shelby got on the pitch. Last night, you know, really lovely moment. How often? I mean, a how sort of rare that a player leaves and then kind of comes back to say goodbye. Chris Wood was there as well, actually. And that was, you know, that was, that was nice. It was, you know, it's kind of bizarre seeing Shelby say goodbye on the pitch at half time and then appear on the, you know, the traditional win photo afterwards, but like a really nice touch. He's been at the club for seven years. We've talked a lot about saying goodbye to the members of those, of, of that team that went down and then came back up, how important they've been through some really rough, tough moments, but how, you know that that the feeling amongst the squad is actually built on those players. You know, in time they they have to go and have to be replaced. I thought that was a lovely, a really lovely moment. 
we were making jokes about it because at the time it had happened, his announcement, you know, the announcement of his departure hadn't been, you know, hadn't actually been officially made. And yeah, is there anything in the small print? Has he actually signed anything? Um, so yeah, I think it does leave Newcastle light. And that is the way that football goes. I mean, it's funny. We've talked about this before we started recording. A year ago, you know, Newcastle did all that activity, spent 92 million quid on five players. And at the end of it, we were asking ourselves, have Newcastle done enough? And obviously the answer was a resounding yes, but, you know, they were asking themselves that question internally. And now we're sort of having the same, asking the same kind of question, but for very, very different reasons. Have they done enough for Newcastle to stay where they are? I don't know if that's even the right question, to be honest, because, you know, internally they know that they're way ahead of schedule. We know that, you know, we know that too. And we also know that if they did get into the Champions League, what that would mean for their financial position, what that would mean for prestige, what it would mean for the reputation of the club. Are they equipped to be in the Champions League? I would say absolutely not. Not at the minute, no. You know, and it would be kind of interesting. Perhaps that's a question for another day. But, you know, you don't write off this team and this squad at all. You can't because of what they've done. I think there's been moments in the past kind of two or three weeks when they've looked a bit tired as a team. Again, it was an unchanged side last night. Let's see how they go. It's a fascinating conversation. I don't know what the answer is. No, me neither. Let's uh, just cast our minds back, though, about five, six minutes or so, Jacob, and you mentioned double pivot. You're taking your role as replacement to Chris Wolf very seriously, aren't you? You've clearly learned from the master, uh, and we'll have no more of that nonsense from you, if that's okay. I'm not aware of what I've done wrong here. This <laughs> because is to me. me and George have spent the last three years mercilessly taking the piss out of Chris every time he mentions double pivot because he throws it into conversations and it'll sound clever. Uh, when we, we genuinely think he doesn't know what it means in the first place. He just likes to put it in there occasionally. But you've clearly uh, you've clearly picked up that mantle and run. Maybe it's it. generational. <laughs> wow. Um, I was going to say after that, the second little voice note from Chris to say, oh, we miss you very much. And then I was going to actually you know, qualify that by saying, no, Jacob's come in and it's been absolutely seamless and Chris, you're not missed at all. And now that Jacob is talking about <laughs> double pivots on Pod on the Tine, I mean, it is like, I mean, the only difference, I mean, and it is quite a big lifestyle difference, is that Jacob is a vegetarian, so there will be no more meat. I mean, you could not get a bigger contrast with Chris. There'll be no more meat chat on this podcast for a, for a very long time. And Jacob, I'm not sure if you're aware, but Chris, I mean, does have an unhealthy fascination with me. So maybe He's it's the good. the most carnivorous man that I know, Chris. Yeah. Don't you also have some sort of vegetable lasagna sort of deal going on there at the same time? Yes. I mean, again, if you if you prove to be as hapless as Chris is when, when actually eating food, I mean, the, the podcast will have a lot of rich material. I hope we never, ever witness your life reach such a low ebb as Chris is when he was sitting eating vegetable lasagna in his pants. With um, with the camera off for pulling the time, please let let's yes. not. If you ever feel like that, please reach out to one of us and um, we'll talk you through it. We have coping strategies. It's all good. Um, yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Jacob, let's let's talk about Anthony Gordon briefly because we haven't really had the chance to talk about him that much. Was it a bit like seeing an ex with a with a new partner uh, suddenly just walk past? I didn't enjoy being the one Evertonian in the stadium. I don't know if he even counts. Like, <laughs> is, is he a second Evertonian? I don't know anymore. Um, it's very weird. After I mean, I wrote about how he's going to fit in at Newcastle last week, and kind of so many people being like, oh. Don't like him after how he behaved at St James's Park in front of uh, Gallagher. I mean, you have a whole Gallagher sort of singing his name after he's not even 
done anything um, yet. We forget very quickly if you put a black and white shirt on. You do know that, don't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, very conflicting feelings about it all. Obviously, for, with my Everton hat on, you want to see, you know, a youth academy player comes through. It's like Elliot Anderson. You want to see them become part of a team. You dream they're going to lead you to a better land. On the other hand, it's good money for Everton. It fits a clear need for Newcastle. I've been saying to people this week, I've all been a bit dispirited about how it's been received at the Everton end, kind of, I think the club statement was pretty... Yeah, it wasn't great, was it? ...awful, saying, so, you know, it's a 21-year-old kid who kept, helped keep you up last season, saying he um, effectively had to force to leave, put his gold record out there. It felt a bit of a dog whistle for me, for people to pile on a, a young kid. I didn't like that. But, um, yeah, anyway, Bruno's injury kind of looks... Bruno's red card, even, let's not let him off that. Um, looks if it could be kind of a route to more minutes for him kind of we've sort of seen before that how we'll put players into the team kind of fairly slowly when they arrive but if Jolinton's moving into midfield that spot on the left opens up Gordon's a much more kind of natural presser with what Newcastle are doing than Sam Maximan you can see a way in which he plays often and soon by the way just on just on the price initial payment of 40 million quid I think Newcastle would argue that they've done quite well there because it was 60 million when they first started talking and they they walked away from talks at that point. Um I think for for the most part the mood and theme of this window in spite of what I've just said previously about the sort of similarity in the question you're asking at the end of it is that it was just so much calmer. You know, it was, you know, think back to to a year ago you've got Amanda Staveley and Murdad Gadusi right in the heart of transfer activity, not sleeping, losing weight. Eddie Howe, effectively director of football. It worked, but, you know, they were calling absolutely everybody. They were checking everybody's availability. It was sort of a form of mania. I think the dealing with Everton this time feels like it was the closest you could come to that because it was been so complicated and because it's been so weird at Everton, not quite knowing who to deal with, not knowing what's what's happening and they were involved you know they were involved again in all that they've paid 40 million up front and that's effectively how they've got their discount on the price you know the good thing is it's very much what Eddie Howe wants he sees a lot of potential in him and the funny stuff that we've talked about in terms of Gordon irritating Gallagate that fits totally into the ethos of Newcastle's team. It was great seeing on social media him being greeted by uh, by Kieran Trippier and the rest of them and having a bit of fun on social media about it too. I'm sure Kieran Trippier said I should have brought me boxing gloves yeah, with us yeah. at one point, which yeah. I thought was lovely. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's also Fabian Cher was still slightly menacing. Kind of <laughs> yeah, a bit of well, chatter about that, sort yeah. of like... Are you gonna Are you gonna protect me now? I'm sure he said something about about you have to earn it or something, didn't he? he yeah, said something yeah, yeah that was lines. it. Yeah, and I was like, wow, okay. And you could sort of see a flash of panic. He might look lovely, but he's he's a hard bastard, Fabian Shea, deep down. Yeah, well, they all are. Really low voice as well, like really low, quite yeah. ominous. Um, it's nice to see Gordon sing along to Hey Jude at the end of the game when that was ringing out, kind of. Guess you can take the bar to Liverpool and all, but and one um one 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 quirk that has just that has just come to me. Idris Elba was there, wasn't he? He was in the director's box. I haven't worked out. Is he a Southampton fan? I don't know because I always thought he was a London boy. But somebody somebody I was speaking to last night said he's a Southampton fan. But that's a strange one, wasn't it? I don't know. Maybe maybe he's going to be director of football. I mean, I know we've got one, but he's like um. <laughs> Brilliant actor. He's a DJ as well, isn't he? And he's, uh, um, yeah, I, I should have gone over and said hello, but I didn't. He'd give an incredible team talk before the match. Oh, like, my God, I'd, yeah. I'd run for a wall if kind of Lufo was shouting at me to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah, true. You would listen, wouldn't you? Um, also, Harrison Ashby joins from West Ham, coming in very much as cover for Kieran Trippier. Uh, they said early in the window they were looking at a, a young right-back to come in behind Trippier and learn from him. Uh, but it looks like he's probably going to be sitting on the bench quite a lot. But it feels like a bit of a steal, this one, George, doesn't it? It's quite a minimal fee and, and a decent addition. And from what I've heard, Harrison Ashby is very highly rated and very well thought of, even though he didn't play an awful lot of minutes at, at West Ham. Yeah, I'm going to defer to, to Jacob, actually, because he's written a really good piece about uh, about Ashby. But in that sort of more general sense, that was another priority position in January. It was a, it was a kind of defensive, defensive midfielder. Augmenting the the attack with a bit of width, which they've done in Gordon, and uh, yeah, that was the other that was the other side of it. That was that was the area that 
uh, how really wanted to strengthen. But I'm going to pass over to to Jacob because he's had a really good in depth look into what he he might bring to the to the squad. Yeah, I mean, it, it initially seems a couple of it seems odd for a couple of reasons. I mean, it's it's so cheap, partly because he's coming to the end of his contract in summer and he didn't want to renew because he didn't feel like he was getting chances at West Ham. I think he's third or fourth in the pecking order, and he's 21 as well. So you know, not young, but kind of you can see him this Newcastle back four kind of only really Sven Botman kind of erupted onto the scene as a teenager. Some really funny quotes from David Moyes about him where he kept incessantly referring to Ashby as the boy, which I thought was a bit odd. Maybe kind of why Ashby wanted Slightly to leave. That's, <laughs> that's sort of how George usually talks to me, kind of, and David Moyes is doing it to, uh, to a prospect. The wee man. Yeah. Um, you stick with me, son. Stick with me, son. <laughs> but no, but I think what's good about him is you can totally see how he fits into the way Newcastle want to play. I mean, Trippi had a brilliant game yesterday. He was always the free man, always creating chances. And Ashby's big strength seems to be his crossing, his passes along the ground as well. Sort of highlighted in this piece I did, this pass he did against Gillingham under 21. So, you know, it's not the very peak of a game, but he sort of played this 50-yard fizz ball along the ground straight into the striker. Passes which very few midfielders even at you know the top of the Premier League level, could actually play. And he's physically well up for it fast. He seems quite brave, kind of. He made his debut against Arsenal and was really up for the challenge, going head-to-head with Tierney a few times in that match. Also, another thing Hal said yesterday was kind of that Mankio is going to be out for a few weeks. Kraft is also injured. So he's straight in and is, you know, set as the backup to Trippier now. So it'd be nice if in one of the games, kind of West Ham, Bournemouth, you know, there's a chance to, chance to get a quick sight of him. But he's one to be excited about. Takes a decent free kick as well from the from some of the footage I've seen as well. He's he's not bad with a dead ball. It's almost like we've got a, a football manager style Kieran Trippier regen on the go here, and he's he, they've kind of developed a new one. They've cloned him and uh, and brought a new one in. Yeah, it, it it's an interesting one that, and obviously the homegrown uh, numbers in the squad as well. That, that all helps towards that, as does Anthony Gordon. And, and, and George, this is something Newcastle will have one eye on, as well as the FFP stuff, will be the, the squad numbers and the squad size, and they have to be careful with, with the players they bring in. Yes, and something something else to, to, to obviously mention, with certainly with Gordon and Ashby, is is their age. And lowering the age of Newcastle squad is, a, is seen as a kind of priority. It's obviously not something you can do all in one go, and experience is important too. But, you know, eventually Newcastle will have to sell players. And I'm not. I'm not necessarily talking about their best players, but they have to generate resources. I mean, all teams do it. All clubs do it. Newcastle haven't been able to do it because they've had an aging squad full of people that others don't particularly want to pay money for, or they're on higher wages because they've been been kept too long. I don't mean that in a you know in a horrible way, but instead of being recycled, they've been kept because the previous regime saw that as a kind of cheaper option than actually going out and recycling and spending more money so it's a problem they do have to get the age of the squad down so this is part of that process too but you know eventually at a good forward thinking club yeah you're not necessarily talking about exact like for like in every single position but that this is what you want you want someone to come into the team who can effectively come into it without you having to change formations or the way you play and it's you know it's fascinating Jacob talking about Ashby in those terms because you know that is sort of what you want if Trippier gets injured you then look behind first of all to see what's there and if this I was about to say the kid I'll I'll get into trouble if I do that and he's 21 (laughs) but if you know if this if 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 Ashby is able to come in and the team can then carry on functioning in the same way that's really important and that's really good. I mean, I you know, st- still have to kind of get used to this idea of joined up thinking at Newcastle and that there might be a long-term plan beyond surviving this window and surviving this season. Yeah, very interesting. If you're ever in doubt about what to call him, George, just do with Brian Clough and call everybody young man. It's much young man. <laughs> well, everybody is a young easier. man compared to me. That's my, that's my problem. That is my problem. <laughs> Absolutely. And we're, we face the prospect of, of three Premier League games now without Bruno in that midfield. Ashby's old club, West Ham's the first of those, and then a trip to Bournemouth. And then Liverpool at St James's Park, which would well, I'm sure is going to be an unbelievable occasion. Uh, weirdly, three consecutive uh, Saturday 5.30 kickoffs. Uh, strange, all televised as well. Uh, Jacob, what's our thoughts on those? The, you would imagine there's some points to be gotten there, but Liverpool could be a sterner test. Yeah, you'd hope. Um West Ham in a very 
odd place this season. I think the only thing which will be quite interesting about that is Declan Rice still playing incredibly well this season, despite it all, and Newcastle without Bruno in the midfield. Just whether that's a place where West Ham might be able to get a bit of a foothold, in which has been, you know, historically a strength for for Newcastle this season. So that's my only note of uh, only note of jeopardy for that one. Um, another trip to the South Coast for George. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Yeah, I think I do think it's interesting. You know, the, the there is that test. There's the, first of all, there's the test of the whole club, which is after this sort of incredible emotional release. Does that understandably lead to a bit of um, momentum being lost just because it's you know so important and so big? And will St James's Park be up for it in quite the same way for West Ham? Will the team be up for it? You know, the answer to that so far has been that whenever a challenge has been put up in front of them, they found a way of getting through. But I do think that's fascinating. You know, and we've also you know we took talking about Sean Longstaff earlier earlier in the pod and how brilliant he's been at the start of the season. Nobody thought that he would be in the starting eleven, and he's made that position his own. So, you know, it's a massive cliche about Bruno being out, and Bruno is a very special player, very very influential. But they found a way of coping when big players have, have missed out. We've seen it with Wilson. We've seen it with St. Maxima. Can't get into the team. Isak hasn't been into the team. It's a challenge, but you would have to think that they'll they'll rise to it. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Absolutely, and then that Liverpool game will be a special, uh, a special night as they always are at St James's Park against Liverpool under the lights on that Saturday evening. That'll be a, an incredible event as well. I'm looking forward to that one immensely. Right then, let's wrap things up, chaps. I think we've uh, we've exhausted ourselves. We were already exhausted at the start of this, and I think we've exhausted ourselves even more, haven't we? Ah, just such an emotional, such an emotional 24 hours. Really, really massive. And yeah, I mean, I do feel that. I've lost that sense of tension from my body, which is great. I mean, you know, I've got time time to build that up before the end of the month again, and I'm sure I will. Um, but, you know, I'm sure sure it's the same for you, Taylor. You know, your phone's gone crazy with mates talking about which hotels they booked. and The scramble for the scramble tickets has for, begun already. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> Just, you know, that, that kind of fear coming back. It's funny, I, I spoke to one of my neighbours, I think it was the day before yesterday, and we were just having a chat, and he said, um, he said oh, yeah, 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 I've booked... Um, I've booked my hotel for Wembley, or and I went already. You know, already you've you've done that already. You don't feel. Like, he said, "Oh no, 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 no." I did it after the Tranmere match. Oh, I thought. God. I thought that's <laughs> that was optimistic. I was at that is pushing. I was it. at Tranmere. That is. He said he got cancelable hotels, but yeah, fair play. Just brilliant. Amazing stuff. Brilliant. Right then, just before we sign off, uh, don't forget to go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod where you can pick up a subscription to The Athletic and pay just £1.99 a month for your first year. Um, that's it, chaps. An emotional night at St James's Park. Newcastle United are through to their first cup final since 1999. I'm going to have to go back to bed and get some sleep. I feel I've got a head full of scrambled eggs. That's what it feels like this morning, but it's it's great fun. Uh, thanks, Jacob, again for your time. Thank you for for joining us. No, I appreciate it. Emotional night for me as well with, you know, seeing Anthony Gordon putting on the black and white for the first time and then obviously everything which came after as well. Brilliant stuff. And George, thank you again, mate. As always, it's been great fun. Yeah, it's nice to say that, isn't it? It's been great fun. It's been brilliant. Long may it continue. Long may it continue. I've loved it. And thanks a lot to Chris Woff as well for his lovely messages from uh, from the RVI and little baby James. And we wish them all the best. Uh, hope to see them home soon. Uh, lovely to hear from him. Thanks a lot, everybody, uh, for listening to Pod on the Tyne. Newcastle United are in a cup final. I cannot believe I'm actually what? saying that. What? It's unbelievable. Uh, we will see you all on Wimbley Way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Sorry, George. Uh, yes, enjoy your week. I know I will. Take care from everyone at Pod on the Tyne. Goodbye. As the moon rises, he sits by his fire. Thinking about women and glasses of beer And closing his eyes as the doggies retire He sings out a song which is soft but it's clear As if maybe someone could hear Saints. Bruno, good feet, great feet. Long snap. It's got a bit of space right of centre. Trippier gets involved into the area. Cuts inside. Long snap. Touch. And he-
inside. Joe Linton on the outside. That's where the ball goes. Then back to Willock. Then Joe Linton back down the line for Willock to rob and take on Lianco. Just outside the area, Willock through for Almiron. The cutback. Here's a chance. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.